Body of Wonder, a podcast exploring the healing capacity of the human body, is produced by the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona. The Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine is internationally recognized for leading the transformation of healthcare through innovative learning programs, evidence-based research, and integrative practices. To find out more, go to azcim.org slash podcast. Again, that's azcim.org slash podcast. Hi, Andy. Hi, Victoria. How are you today? I'm good. Getting ready for the holidays. Excellent. So today we have Dr. Deepak Chopra joining us. I'm really looking forward to hearing the two of you. An old friend and colleague, and he and I have had some very rich dialogues, uh, especially in the past 10 years. Well, we're going to be talking about consciousness, which I know is a topic that you have been thinking about and writing about for years. And so has Dr. Chopra, 83 books on it. Amazing. He's much more <laughs> prolific than I am. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to the dialogue. It is my great pleasure today to welcome Dr. Deepak Chopra, who is a physician, an author, a speaker, and an advocate of alternative medicine and spirituality. Throughout his life, his interest has been in the human experience, perception, emotion, thinking, and the exploration of consciousness. He's a longtime meditator, and he believes in the transformative power of mindfulness and contemplation. It is really my great pleasure today to have a chance to do a little bit of moderation as uh, Dr. Weil and Dr. Chopra educate you about consciousness. So I thought I'd start with you, Andy, and maybe you can tell our listeners how you and Deepak first met. Uh, well, I'm not so sure. And maybe Deepak <laughs> has a better memory than I do. I recall, uh, Deepak, we were both keynote speakers to an American College of Physicians event uh, many years ago, but I don't remember if we met before that. I do remember the uh, the keynote that you gave at the American College of Physicians. And then there were other occasions where we met, but I think uh, we really know each other after you started coming the teacher and uh, keynote some of our conferences at, this, at the Chopra Center. We had wonderful dialogues there, uh, yes, very wide-ranging topics from uh, medicine, consciousness, the microbiome, all sorts of things. And, and by the way, tell me what's happened with the Chopra Center. I understand that the one that, we, that I came to has closed. Yeah, so Andy, I turned 73 this last year. And for two years, I've been uh, kind of considering what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I, I do believe that even though I'm in the best of health, I couldn't be in better health than I am right now. But I do believe that this is the final season or the final <laughs> chapters of my life. And I wanted to see and reflect on the nature of consciousness, existence, and spend a lot more time in my personal practice, uh, which is uh, now up to two, three hours every day. And I wanted not to be involved in the business. So I was actually going to the center. But what happened is a few friends uh, who are, I can share now who they are, uh, Alice Walton uh, from the Walmart uh, family, mm -hmm. 
and a few others, uh, they said, why don't you not close it? Why don't you let us take over and create a new company called Chopra Global and you can get a salary and you can focus on consciousness, but we'll use the platform for integrative medicine and all things holistic. And so I said, why not? And so I'm doing that. And there will be another center actually somewhere in Arizona soon. where We will be doing the Perfect Health Program, which is a seven-day Ayurvedic program. And that's all we'll do there. And mm-hmm. it's a facility that already is a resort facility. And then depending on these new partners, they might uh, do something similar in uh, New York and Arkansas and other places. But I think we're going to turn, they're going, their attention of turning it into a digital teaching platform. And at some point, I'll come to you and ask you if you would uh, like to do any webinars or workshops uh, digitally at least uh, in the in the way we've done them before but mm-hmm. now on a much better scale oh good i'll look forward to that i'm wondering whether each of you would actually define consciousness <laughs> okay you know i've been to many conference consciousness and uh, people argue this forever and how what it means but here are some definitions that I actually like a lot and I support these definitions. So first definition is consciousness is the knowing element in every experience. So, you know, we are constantly having experiences, perceptual experiences, mental experiences, experiences of the world. One element in all these experiences is consciousness. So that's one very good definition. Another definition that comes from uh, some non-dualists is that consciousness is that in which all experience occurs, is also that in which all experience is known, and is also that, and this is the tough part that some people argue about, and it is also that out of which all experience is made. So all experience is made or is a modified form of consciousness. Now, Deepak, as you are aware, you are you and I are in a minority in the Western world, and especially in the Western scientific world, in in uh, not buying into the materialistic paradigm that consciousness is a byproduct of neurochemistry and electrical connections in the brain. I believe, as I'm sure you do, that consciousness is primary. And my feeling is that consciousness precedes matter and organizes matter into forms that are more and more self-aware. Well, that is a very good point of view, Andrew. It, uh, and a lot of people are actually very sympathetic to do what you just said. And it is actually emerging as the dominant view in the consciousness literature, which is called panpsychism. Uh-huh. So, you know, even even uh, Chris Koch um, is now saying that uh, uh, consciousness exists at every level from particle to galaxy. Huh. And it's a, it's a very good window into what I think we can go a little deeper and that say that matter itself is a human construct mm-hmm. for modes of knowing and experience in consciousness and particles, 
before we give them a name, have to be experienced in consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's true of anything, whether it is your own physical body or uh, the Milky Way galaxy or the phone holding in your hand, before you can call it an object, it's an ex- and as an experience, it's a perceptual activity. And the perceptual activity is in nothing other than a modified form of consciousness. So that view, which is the non-dual view, goes a little bit even beyond um, panpsychism, which mm-hmm. says that, uh, you know, matter is just a human construct, atoms and molecules, are human constructs and electricity and gravity and everything which we call force fields and all these uh, are names that humans have given to experiences. And, you know, experience precedes the naming of an object. And um, the experience is a perceptual activity. And in this case, it's a human perceptual activity. It's not the perceptual activity of an insect with multiple eyes or a snake that Mm -hmm. navigates through its experiences through infrared or a bat that navigates its own experiences through the echo of ultrasound. So matter is a useful construct for doing science and for creating technology, but it doesn't answer really basic fundamental questions about existence. I mean, we know there is existence because we are aware of it. Awareness has to precede anything. How do we know we exist? How do we know we have a body? How do we know there's a universe? Because we are aware of it. And we are aware of it because of a perceptual activity, which is a modified form of consciousness in any case. So I personally believe that consciousness is the only reality and everything else is a modified form of it. So, you know, we are on the same page. Many of our listeners would love to know, and and maybe if consciousness precedes matter, as Andy just said, this isn't even feasible, but many of our listeners would love to know, what can an individual do to expand their consciousness or their conscious awareness? (laughs) Well, I think the only way to actually know consciousness itself is not through observation, because consciousness is always over. It escapes uh, inspection because it is the inspector. So when when we practice various forms of mindfulness or mindful awareness, whether it's awareness of the body or awareness of mental space or awareness of the web of relationship or awareness of our own self-inquiry, then at some point we realize that all experience is sensations, images, feelings, perception, and thoughts. Thought is the interpretation of experience. And so the wisdom traditions have always said, go to the source of thought, which is basically the first thing you read about when you read the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. The sentence says, yoga is the quietening of the mind so that you can experience the source of thought. Now, the source source of sensations, Im- images, imagination, perceptions, uh, everything called experience, they're all entangled. Sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts are, are entangled. So for me right now, yoga has assumed a really great importance in my daily practice. Yoga with awareness, understanding that the yoga postures 
are actually seats of awareness. And when you combine that practice with meditation, including mantra practice, which helps you transcend thought, then slowly, by and by, you start to experience what is called pure consciousness, which is prior to anything that we can call even mind. You know, pure consciousness has not yet been conditioned into experience. And that's that's what yoga is all about. The word means union, union of the self with the source of uh, thought. So maybe, Victoria, the problem is not to expand consciousness, but to become aware of the fact that our consciousness extends beyond us and to everything. That could be. Deepak, you just mentioned some of the elements of those two to three hours a day of personal practice. You mentioned yoga, meditation, mantra. Are there any other aspects of that two to three hours a day that you're spending that you didn't yet mention? Yeah. You know, I asked myself, there's something called reflective self-inquiry. Am I the changing body or am I the awareness in which the body is a changing experience. I mean, I was once a fertilized egg, and then I was an embryo, and then before that I was a zygote and a baby and a toddler. So it's obvious that what I call my body is a changing perceptual activity. Where is it happening? Well, it's happening in consciousness. So the body is not the container of consciousness. It's an experience of consciousness. So I do this practice of self-inquiry. Am I a mind or am I awareness in which the mind is a changing experience? Am I the body or is am I the awareness in which the body is a changing experience? And then, you know, at night, I actually also meditate on my physical death. What does that mean? Uh, if I had no experience whatsoever of a perceptual uh, reality, would I still exist? And uh, as a formless being, uh, which consciousness is, because, you know, consciousness doesn't have a form. You wouldn't be, otherwise you'd be able to see it. It's, as I said, it's always the seer. So, the more comfortable we can get in experiencing our formless being, which happens, by the way, every night in deep sleep. But now you can actually uh, suggest to yourself, which is also part of the yogic practices called Yoga Nidra and many others that actually I've I've seen uh, Andrew expound on these practices as well, is that you can ultimately know yourself as formless, without form. And that's part of my practice. One of the ways people are trying to experience themselves in our society today as uh, without form is by turning to psychedelics. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about the wisdom of using psychedelics to better understand one's consciousness. Is it wise or is it a mistake? Well, let, let me ask Andrew to... Uh, answer that first, because, you know, my first uh, actually introduction to Andrew <laughs> long time ago when I was uh, still a resident and uh, working in Boston. And I, I know uh, Andrew went to medical school. He was writing about a long time ago before this recent interest in uh, psychedelics. Of course, I, I've written about the psychedelics, too, in my book, Metahuman mostly quoting the work of Michael Pollan. But Andrew, uh, I'd love to hear your take on all the 
shamanic uh, experiences that you've talked about. Sure. One of the questions that came up in the 1960s when in the first wave of interest in psychedelics was um, objections by spiritual teachers to the claims of people that they were having spiritual experiences through psychedelics. The charge was that these were not legitimate. And my feeling is that the only way you can judge legitimacy is by the effect they have on a person. Uh, You know, if someone has a profound psychedelic experience and as a result of that, makes uh, very significant changes in how they live and how they act towards other people, then I would say that was a useful, genuine experience. If people take these drugs repeatedly just for sensational effects, I think probably that is not a very worthwhile pursuit. So I agree totally with uh, what Andrew is saying and having said that, you know, I have earlier on as a medical student in the 60s, um, I did experiment with LSD, you know, magic mushrooms and so on. And I say that was my first insight mm-hmm. into an unedited reality because our normal conditioned mind and even our brain edits uh, reality, which is much broader than our narrow band of perceptual activity and a human a narrow band of perceptual activity. So I think under uh, under supervision, they could be useful. And right now there's a lot of discussion about things like ketamine and other things, even for treatment for dep- of depression. Deepak, one of the experiences that uh, that I had more than once, and it was on various agents, but taking these in an outdoor natural setting, experiencing a fundamental, I don't know, I should call it a vital energy flowing through my body that appeared to be corpuscular, brilliant, luminescent, and in motion. And it extended not only through my body, but to the rocks that I was lying on, to plants. I I felt this was something that pervaded everything in the universe. And it was some essential, self-aware, luminous, something. Well, Andy, I can say that exactly my experience too. Um, I can definitely relate to that. And as you said, we don't, once you have this experience, you don't have to go back to it. It's not something like uh, alcohol or other addictive substances. You go once or twice, you have the experience, supervision, they need it after that. Yeah, this was Alan Watts had a famous line saying, once you get the message, you can hang up the telephone. (laughs) (laughs) That's a beautiful line. That's a beautiful line. Now, while we're on the subject, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk right now on cannabis and CBD. And I I was very curious to know uh, your take on Mm -hmm. the medical uses of uh, cannabis and not just CBDs, but even THC, because uh, as you know, it's the talk of the town these days. <laughs> On every street corner in Tucson, there are On people selling street. CBD. <laughs> yeah, first of all, I'm not so sure CBD by itself does anything. I mean, the only real evidence we have is for uh, treating drug-resistant seizures in children. And all the other claims for it, I think we have no real evidence for. In combination, oh, Including anti-inflammatory, is that true? That's true. But in combination okay. with THC and the other constituents yeah. in cannabis, it may have 
uh, useful effects. To me, the great virtue of cannabis as medicine is its lack of toxicity. You know, you can't kill people with it. And uh, it has yeah. interesting effects. I think we don't know all of them, but there are possibilities that we may find ways of using it to regulate appetite, to affect pain, to treat and prevent some kinds of cancer, to affect the immune system. I think there are many, many possibilities there. But at the moment, I don't think we know enough about all the constituents of cannabis. Yeah, but I'm seeing all that anecdotally and also yep. in the literature. Yep. I'm seeing people say that their seizures have disappeared, that their mm-hmm. inflammatory uh, bowel disease is better, et cetera, et cetera. So it's certainly something we need to look yep. out for. One confounding uh, fact about it is that there's a great deal of variation in individual response. Uh, Some people can use cannabis to fall asleep. Others say it makes them stimulated. So this is confusing for doctors to know how to use it and what preparations to use. We need a lot more information. Good. Victoria, sorry we digressed. digressed. Uh, That's terrific. I love hearing the two of you ask questions of one another. Deepak, I want to go back to something you were speaking about earlier. You were um, mentioning a process of reflective self-inquiry, in part about your own aging. And one of our listeners uh, wrote a question to us, throughout my life, I have believed that my body can heal itself and have seen it happen time and time again. However, As I have aged, I have found it to be more difficult. What tools can I use to get this back? Okay. I mean, I know that uh, Andrew has written books on healthy aging, as have I. Here's something I would like to uh, say, and then I'd like to hear what Andrew has to say. Movement and a daily practice of yoga eating food that is not processed, refined, manufactured, or inflammatory products, Uh, walking 10,000 steps a day, keeping your emotions healthy, getting at least eight hours of restful sleep, some connection with nature, managing your stress through meditation and mindfulness practices, definitely alters the your aging profile, the biological markers of aging who get affected. And we have done research at the center along with other institutions and we're in a one-week retreat with meditation practice. People had an increase in their telomerase level by 40%. I don't think there's any drug that does that. And this study was done in collaboration with Elizabeth Blackburn, who won the Nobel Prize Mm. for the discovery of telomerase. Now, as far as healing is concerned, I think ultimately healing is homeostasis. You know, our body is already always self-regulating itself in the direction of homeostasis. And that is something that we should always keep in mind, that healing is a real phenomenon And it's the restoration of a dynamic non-change in the midst of change um, in in your biology. And that homeostasis can be achieved through a quiet mind and a body that is both dynamically active, but can also get depressed as in sleep. Uh, So I think you're the person who's inquiring, making this inquiry. He should not be 
discouraged by the fact that he's getting older. Uh, it is possible to get older and still maintain a healthy body. Only 5% of diseased gene mutations are fully penetrant, which means they guarantee the disease. And this is a very significant finding that actually I was first alerted to by one of my co-authors, Rudy Tanzi, who's a geneticist. And basically, 5% of all chronic illness is because of these fully penetrant genes. Somebody has a BRCA gene for breast cancer, or there are some Alzheimer's genes that are fully penetrant. But even the last vast majority of gene mutations that are associated with chronic illness are influenced epigenetically through lifestyle. So Deepak, I could not add anything to your list of healthy lifestyle practices. That's a total agreement with mine. And I very much am, am in agreement with your point of view about homeostasis being the essential aspect of healing. And I would add to that that the organism wants to be in a state of equilibrium. There is a, a desire to get back to that point. I think it is true that the healing ability of the organism declines as we age, but I have Correct. seen remarkable examples of healing in very old people, even in people who were dying, who were able to mount a very significant healing response once uh, obstacles to healing were removed and energy was supplied to the body. So I, I think following your general principles, the same ones I advocate of healthy living, ensures that you always are able to draw on that. Particular. Well, that's great, Andrew. I mean, this is very useful that you're sharing this with, and we are sharing this with people, because I think um, not many people know this, you know, that homeostasis is, in fact, something that is self-regulating biology. I mean, we learned about it in medical school, but then yes. after that, we never pay attention to it. Body of Wonder is produced by the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine, internationally recognized for its innovative health and wellness programs, evidence-based research, and clinical standards. Join the transformation at azcim.org slash podcast. Again, that's azcim.org slash podcast. I'd love for each of you to offer some practical tips to our listeners who say, I would really like to meditate, but I just can't sit still, or I just can't quiet my mind, or I just can't fill in the blank. Okay. Anybody who says they don't have enough time, they're the ones who need it most because they're, uh, you know, they're time stressed, number one. Number two, trying to quieten the mind is actually an activity of the mind. So you can never try to quieten the mind. In fact, you, if you try to do that, you'll increase the turbulence of your mind. So I would say for a beginner, even sitting five minutes uh, observing the breath or observing sensations in the body, or repeating a phrase like, that will be done, or, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, or whatever they feel like, you know, um, or doing uh, a mantra, which is part of a tradition. It doesn't matter. Five minutes, seven minutes increase. And also know that the only time thought really stops or comes to an end is in deep sleep or in death. So don't worry about it. If you have thoughts, that's part of the upward stroke of meditation. What I would tell people who ask that question is to try to notice that 
on some level, they are meditating already. And some part of the mind is always in a meditative state. And to look for areas of your experience, such as watching a movie, reading a book, being absorbed in some experience with full directed concentration, that is a variety of meditation. So being aware of what you're already doing and then trying to bring it together. That's great. Uh, That's great, Andrew. Yeah. Music for me is something Mm -hmm. that does that, you know, for sure. So looking for other places in one's life where perhaps one is already having a meditative or even a trance-like experience. As you know, Victoria, I've always said that cooking for me is meditation, yes. chopping vegetables. Or, and, or gardening yeah, for a lot gardening, of Gardening, exactly. Yeah. Deepak, can you tell us about your new book? Well, I think we covered a lot of material on that. <laughs> Meta means beyond and human, in this case, I said the conditioned human mind. So the book uh, very slowly deconstructs what we call matter into experience and then deconstructs experience into collectivity and then deconstructs perceptual activity as a modified form of consciousness and its interpretation as thought. And so, uh, you know, people say, so what good is it? You know, even if we, <laughs> if we do, 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 do all that, what good is it? And if you look at the great spiritual traditions and the wisdom traditions of the world, you see three common features that were the basis of all religious or spiritual experience. One was transcendence, which is going beyond thought and going to the source of thought and sensations and images and feelings and and every perceptual activity. The second was the emergence of what we frequently refer to as platonic values, truth, goodness, beauty, harmony, love, passion, joy, equanimity. And the third is the loss of fear of death. Mm -hmm. Now, if anyone would have those three experiences, transcendence, emergence of platonic values, ethical values, not out of a compulsion to be moral, but out of the natural outcome of this experience of unity, and lose their fear of death, uh, then I think I'd take that uh, anytime. Well, those are profound, higher states that we all want to get to. I'm going to ask about a little of the opposite. And I ask all of our guests this, of one guilty pleasure that you have, me, I, you. <laughs> I, you know, I used to guiltily, uh, very guiltily, uh, have three or four cups of coffee every day, till my brother, who's a professor at Harvard Medical School, said, "Actually, coffee has a lot of benefits," and so now <laughs> I don't have pleasures. <laughs> that was a very so, innocent guilty pleasure. And it went yeah. away. <laughs> no, Andy, um, I've watched Andy's career uh, right from the beginning. And I consider him in many ways my mentor as well. So, Andy, you know, I see that you are now um, also in my stage of your life. And so uh, what are you focusing on right now? Well, I'm focusing on letting go of things and letting other people take over (laughs) and making sure that there is a good foundation for carrying on the work of integrative medicine, uh, focusing on on a lot of the things that 
uh, you, we talked about in this program. Uh, I'm 77, so I'm a bit ahead of you. Uh, well, you're uh, a very healthy, good example, and I want to be like. Okay, good. <laughs> I also uh, think a lot about my own death and uh, what that yes. experience will be. I think that's you know one of the most important things that we can contemplate. Yeah, it's part of our life. Yes. Yes. Good to hear, and I hope uh, we can continue to collaborate on a few projects. Well, I want to thank you, Deepak, so very much, Dr. Deepak Chopra, for being our guest today on Body of Wonder. Uh, It has been really illuminating to listen to this conversation between you and Andy. Thank you, Victoria. Thanks, Andy. Listeners, this is Dr. Victoria Mazes. We would love for you to send us your questions for Andy, myself, or for our guests. You can call us and leave a voicemail by dialing 520-621-3950. Again, 520-621-3950. Or you can submit a question by going to our website, azcim.org slash podcast. Again, azcim.org slash podcast. We will review your questions and try to answer as many as possible on our programs. When you go to our website, you can see our upcoming guests. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Body of Wonder brought to you by the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. If you like the show, please rate us five stars, subscribe to our channel, and leave a review. To learn more about Integrative Healing and the Center, go to azcim.org slash podcast. Again, that's azcim.org slash podcast.